Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Uncensored CMO. This episode is a returning guest, one of my all-time favorite guests on the podcast, Nils Leonard, founder of Uncommon. I'm a huge fan of Nils and what they're doing over at Uncommon. They've genuinely uh, done a transformational job there in just five years, creating a huge agency. Now, I got Nils onto the podcast a few weeks ago uh, to talk about, uh, update me on the progress of the agency, what his vision for the future is, what he thinks about AI and creativity. Um, But just after I recorded the episode... I got news that they'd just done a deal with Havas to buy them out. So um, rather than put the episode out, I got him back to find out more about the deal. What does it mean for the uh, founders of Uncommon? What does the future look like? And will they still be doing the kind of work that we've come to know and love? Um, so this episode is in two parts. Firstly, my conversation with Nils about the deal itself. Uh, we'll have a quick break and then we'll get into the original content about the future creativity, AI and lots more. Uh, Nils, as ever, is wonderful, thought-provoking, very profound, and an all-round decent guy. So uh, I know you're going to love this episode. And so uh, here it is. So Nils, we <laughs> recorded right an entire episode. Yeah. You leave here and you sell the business. <laughs> like, come on, man. What was going through your head when we were sat here last time? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I said last time. I mean, I literally have no idea what I said to you because in my head I was just thinking about stuff. Uh, I mean, I do have to very quickly stop you there. I, you sold the business is not... Like, I know it's funny, it's all semantics, but we don't feel like we've sold the yeah. business. You know, we feel like we've taken investment uh, for a business that we love. And that's important to say. And some people are like, oh, it's bullshit. I mean, but, it, you know, the, the more we talk about the deal and the partnership we've made, the more we feel like that's that's the reason we did it. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, sorry on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, uh, God knows we probably talked about selling cheese or something when... It's know. good cheese, though. I mean, yeah, I, sure, it's man, great yeah, cheese. Sure. Sure. But, but the independence thing is a good question, isn't it? Because, like, you know, you've been, like, the, the poster agency, studio, I should say, you know, for the last five years, very much showing what an independent agency can achieve in a short space of time. You've had amazing success. What does partnering with a bigger network allow you to do that you can't do so, currently? Thank you for that, first of all. I mean, it's, it's good to hear. We, you know, you know my usual guff, but I'll, I mean it, so I'll say it. We always wanted to be or we're trying to be a reference point for not this necessarily this industry, but just for a creative company and what that might be. In this industry, there are these truths that we think we know that aren't truths. They're stories we tell ourselves based on the past. And in the past, you know, there is this thing that independence is amazing. And when you do a deal, there's a massive compromise. There is this sort of literally a, a learnt reaction to a deal, which is, oh, that's that fucked. You know, and some yeah. of the messages I'm getting are lovely, but it's like that we've died or something. You know, dear Nils. And I'm like, it's, and it's really interesting to me. And, and what dawned on me is we don't have enough stories for a good deal. Now, when we say good deal, people talk about Adam and Eve and whatever. But Adam and Eve grew a brilliant company and then took that company to fix something old. And I don't think anybody wakes up wanting to go and do that. You know, I think you wake up and you want to grow your company and you want to see its path grow. This is a different type of deal. In that it might not be rocket science, but it is a different type of deal. In that we've taken some investment, but the company stays as it is. Our name stays as it is. We stay in the same building we want to be in. We make the decisions we want to make. And the guys that have us in Vivendi understood that. More than understood it, like really got that to not do that would fuck it all up. And that's rare. You know, and I would argue when everybody's making a play for the bottom, you know, and they're all going, it's all about buying data and buying these systems and buying whatever. They're making a play for the top. And I think they're going to continue to. And when you're watching people like Sorrel's profits fall and S4 get battered and you're looking at, you know, Omnicom the same, you have to ask yourself, well, what's, where's the way out? So forgive me, that's a long-winded answer, but we wanted to be a reference point and want to still be a reference point for how a deal might be done, for what that might mean for starting a creative studio. I've been really buoyed by the, some of the noise in the industry and the, and the commentary from some people because I think it displays a, a wisdom that I was very grateful for. You know, people are are seeing that if you can grow a creative endeavor that is purely built around that creativity, then it can be of worth, you know, and it's not about some system or the plumbing or a different data set or some algorithm, you know, in the wake of AI, it's about that very pure human thing. And I just think that's a really, hopefully a great lesson for everybody. And that, you know, I want people to believe, (laughs) you know, I'd, I'd want to believe if I were looking at the industry, you know, 20 years ago, I'd want to believe you could start a great creative shop and it be of worth. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. So that's a long-winded answer, John. Yeah. Sorry, but I want the deal to be as much of a reference point as the work. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. I mean, you've always been super clear about your purpose, the difference you want to make. 
does that vision change? Does it get bigger? How do you see it? How do you see the yeah. future with Havas on your yeah. side? Well, I mean, honestly, we talked a lot, didn't we, before about Uncommon trying to build a company that was on the receiving end of the most influential and important briefs of our time. That was our thing. And what started to happen was I actually started to feel for the first time, five, almost six years in, that our ambitions, it was going to take us too long. And we weren't able to flex our muscles the way we wanted to. And some of the briefs we wanted, we were still unable to go and get for all, you know. And as you look at the States and you look at, you know, the rest of the world and all that stuff, we didn't want to risk uh, the entire business on something that may or may not work in that sense and make everything fall over. I mean, it just didn't strike us as five years in an appropriate thing to go and do. So what we said to ourselves, well, look, how can we go and give the States a proper shot? How do we, you know, how do we not have to hire B minus people because we can't afford A plus people? Uncommon have never done that, man. We've always gone for the top tier of absolutely everything. And so we asked ourselves all these questions. You know, how can we work in the office we want to work in, be in the place we want to be, have the culture we want to have? And all those things are attached to money. They're attached to scale. They're attached to runway. And they're attached really to a lack of fear. And I've worked out that Uncommon are brilliant when we've either got absolutely fucking nothing, like when we started, or when we're liberated to not worry about those things and to just focus on being the best we can be. And I think we're in the latter place now, you know, and it feels a really healthy part, you know, part of the journey to be in. It's a really interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Because you're right, as, as a startup founder, you do make your constraints, your limits, your fuel, don't you? Yeah. You, you know, you become yeah. more creative. The assumption is when the money comes in and the resources are there and the team grows, that somehow you lose that. Yeah. But, but that's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? So how are you going to keep what has made Uncommon so valuable well, to we're not done. I mean, and, and it was never about, I know it sounds funny, it was never about money. It was about our influence and our impact. And so we're not done. And it's like, if the money is a route to that, then that's fine. And that's completely healthy, I think. This sort of weird creative thing we have around, you know, involving money in a conversation somehow sullies our ability to be creative. I think it's almost the opposite. You know, Gilbert and George always understood it. Warhol always understood it. You know, the relationship with money and creativity joined. You should be paid your worth and you should be free of worrying about that in order to go and pursue the best endeavours and believe they will pay you back. You know, I, I think Uncommon now, I feel as excited as I did when we started Uncommon again. You know, I feel like we're, we've got an amazing, amazing business that's starting to work like a proper business now, but I think we're actually on, on the cusp now of those briefs I dreamt of and on the cusp of the work we dreamt of. The work we're making this year is work I couldn't have dreamt of, you know. We've got four of the UK's top brands in our stable. You know, that used to be the remit of a massive network. It's not, you know, and I, I'm super excited about it. So I look at that and I look at the world and I look at our capability growth. You know, we've just done a brilliant event for EA uh, Games, you know, for the new FC game over in Amsterdam, three-day event. We completely constructed the physical environment, tech first. We'd never done that before, man. You know, so all that stuff is, is really exciting to the studio. You know, as we look at physical environment and architecture, things like that have always interested us. We can actually go and give those a spin now. How did the team respond, actually? You, you mentioned the studio. How, you know, presumably you had to keep a lot quiet, don't you? Yeah. And you? I mean, you're all, you know, tied up in legal constraints. What's the reaction from the team when you told them? Look, I mean, everyone's really excited. I think the very first reaction is one of worry because things are changing. And change is scary to everybody, but mostly to creatives. Creatives hate change, actually. They pretend to love it, but they fucking hate it. And, and there are a lot of questions. There was a lot of, this thing I'm talking about, the home truths of the industry and the stories of our industry, they all came in the form of questions. So one person said, which I thought was hilarious, like, oh, are we going to have to work with these like big fucking clients now who like do whatever? And I was like, you know, you work with British Airways being and say, you already do. You know? <laughs> and we like, make great yeah. work on yeah, these yeah, clients. Yeah. We make great work on these clients. And they were like, oh yeah, I suppose we do. Yeah. And they were like, you know, are we going to have to, you know, have, like, have targets? I was like, you know, we've had targets since day one. <laughs> Otherwise the business falls That's over. But, fuck. <laughs> and but it was really, it was like a therapy session for me as much as them because yeah. I realized the actual deal we'd done, the partnership we'd done you know, in many ways, it's a massive anticlimax. It's this incredible news in this partnership and all the above, but day-to-day, -day, materially, there is no other change. You know, and in every other version of this that the industry knows, suddenly someone downstairs is putting a new name board up or you're preparing... <laughs> or Elon Musk this morning knocking down the Twitter Yeah, board, right, that yeah. fucking stuff. You know, or, you know, someone's there rubbing, <laughs> yeah. your, rubbing your eye logo off yes. the front of the building and it's none of that, you know, and, uh, you know, or you're preparing for a move, you know, into some crusty, defunct old company that you have to yeah. go and pretend to want to fix, you know, which... We also don't want to do. So all those things were actually really, uh, we're really buoyed yeah. by that. I mean, you talk about protecting, you know, what it is that makes Uncommon magical. 
And you mentioned the US. Well, anything else you can share in terms of what this partnership will allow you to do? Yeah, the I mean, US seems the obvious. Well, the, the US, the US, and the rest of the world are great for sure, and our capabilities there and our ability to to just be in those places more credibly is important. But you know, half our revenues from from you know the rest of the world now, without trying, you know, we've been approached, and we're not going to suddenly turn the eye of uncommon to the US, and that's all. It's not about that. It's just about wherever those briefs are, we want to be on the receiving end of them. But it's important to say there's loads of other brilliant assets to the partnership with Havis and Vivendi. I mean, those guys, A, firstly, they genuinely do get it. Okay, I know everyone will say that, but I'll test them to do a deal like ours. Okay, where they've basically gone, here's the runway, we'll get the fuck out of the way, anything you need, let's go. I think that's remarkable. But if you look at Vivendi as a company, they've got Universal Music, they've got Canal Plus, you know, we make film. You know, we make documentary. Unlike the things we can learn from those guys who play at the top level, I mean, they have Polaroids of the Queen in their office, you know, from when they did the Paddington Bear thing, right? Like, okay, so, you know, they're on a level, man, you know, and and I think you go, okay, Universal, Gameloft, all those guys, all those spaces where Desperate to Play in exist and they have experts there. So it's not just about capability growth. It's also about learning. You know, I want our best people to be learning from those places. Um, so it's incredibly exciting. I, I like that flip on it. So what, what does it allow you to do? Yeah. I mean, that's incredible, isn't yeah. it? Just, just, just mentioning that. But that things. should be, but if, and I know it sounds mad, maybe I'm repeating myself, but that should be the definition of a deal. Yeah. It should widen the aperture, not, not narrow it. And well, I, think I think that when you do yeah. a deal and they go, we want you to say, go and fix this company, well, arguably that's narrowing the aperture. You yeah. stop thinking about what your company could be and you start thinking about someone else's. Yeah. And I just think that's slightly mad. No, I think you're right. I mean, people do assume, don't they, that, you know, with any kind of, acquisition or uh, joint venture yeah. anything like that, that that it's all about the synergy yeah. the reduction efficiency yeah. but actually i love the framing of well what does it allow you to do with extra resource yeah. a bigger network more people yeah. involved more experts and if you'll have us right yeah. let's just flip it right put yourself in their shoes you know donna and yannick and those guys what would you do like i think that you know i would back creativity yeah in an age where ai is threatening everything i wouldn't back the plumbing anymore I mean, you need that stuff and they have it in, in you know, droves and all the, all the above. But I would make a play at this point for a way forwards. Yeah. You know, and if they've got partner companies like Canal Plus who are the best at what they do, then they should be looking at that in, in many ways. And I, I just think it's a smart move and, and not actually rocket science, but seemingly uh, unique. There's, de- there's definitely an element of like, you know, uh, don't touch it as well, isn't there? Because I mean, mm. well, well I mean, just, just check. So will you, um, Natalie and Lucy, still be running 100%. the business day to Because that's so important, isn't it? I mean, that's the point. founders remaining yeah. in the business yeah. is just that's essential for, you know, yeah. for making We want to remain in the business, but we want, you know, the culture of the business. And that word is used too often, I know, in a, in a baggy way. But what I mean is the questions we ask in every review, the questions we ask in every meeting we have, yeah. the questions we ask every client as to whether we do or don't work with them. They don't just remain, they're important. You know, they're not mm. something we had to fight for in a meeting room that they tried to remove. They are an important part of what make Uncommon Uncommon. Yeah. And they recognise that. So all these things are critical, you know. And we're not, you know, we're not old. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm old comparatively, but we're not, you know, we're not, not, looking, we're not yeah. looking to disappear like the yeah. elves over a hill yeah, on yeah. a boat. And, you know, we've got loads more to do and... I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited yeah. about it. Now, when you came last time, I, I think we started, didn't we, by saying, what's the one magical thing that's going to happen as a result <laughs> of this episode? Right? <laughs> Let me put that uh, question to you now. Yeah. It's like, or maybe maybe as you think about this deal, right, what's, what's the one magical thing you hope happens as a result of, that any of all this? any creative person or any creative company or anyone with an idea that slightly believes that their creative endeavour might be successful, might be well-paid at some point, might be remunerated and valued and precious is proven correct brilliant excellent mate well i think that's the perfect place to end bye thank you <laughs> so i hope you enjoyed the first part of my conversation with nils leonard uh, from uncommon about the uh, recent acquisition by havas and what it means now in part two i wanted to ask nils a simple question is advertising dead Now, the reason for that is he wrote a very provocative article on the drum, which got everyone wound up. So I wanted to find out from Nils, did he really mean it? Is advertising actually dead? Or was he using it as some kind of call to action about the future of advertising and the importance of creativity? AI is going to strip out so much of the production and behind the scenes that goes into advertising that means now more than ever we need creativity, which I think was the key message. So this is a lovely conversation with Nils about is advertising dead? and a few more things besides. So, Nils, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me back on. It was two years. I can't believe it's two years since we we last 
who we last said on the podcast. Wow. Well, thanks. What's what's happening these two years? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a bit mad. I, I, it's really good. Um, I'm commoner about 170 people now. We are five years old in November. I don't know when this goes out, but yeah, November the 5th sort of our birthday. Um, we're five. No, we're six, sorry, in November. Yeah, lots of stuff. More A bit more global stuff. We've made another feature. We've got another two in the can. Uh, lots, man. More than more than I want to bore you with, but lot, it, it feels really good. And and you know, we sort of had this strange bit of fiction that we promised ourselves was that the studio was going to be on the receiving end of the most important and influential briefs of our time. That was what we said when we launched. I know. And ironically, we've started getting what I would refer to as some of those. And now my my fear is slightly different. My fear is not making the best of those. So that's currently where I'm at. I'm not. I'm no longer scared of the business just falling over and dying. I'm now scared of not making the best of. Perhaps some of what we got in front of You've us. You've got some pretty big brands in the room. I mean, the, the yeah. one, one British Airways, yeah. Nike as an example. Yeah, I mean, how does it feel to work on such really good global brands? I, I realised the other day we have four of the top 10 UK brands, you know, in, in as partners at Uncommon, which I think is amazing. And I, I'm madly proud of it, obviously, because I, I really want to be having a conversation around creativity and what that means in the UK. But I'm also proud of it because I think even five years ago, people like B&Q, people like British Airways, you wouldn't have dreamt that, a startup or a studio of our size would yeah. would be able to handle that or even be approached about it. So I'm really, I'm chuffed. I think the world's changed in a really good way. And, you know, I don't know. I hope it's affirming for anybody thinking about doing the same thing. But I'm really proud, man. And I feel a, a heady mix of luck and gratitude and, and all the above. So you talked about having the steadiness of the business, which is fantastic. How do you keep the creativity at the heart of what you do? Because that's what people are buying into effectively, aren't they? Well, I think it is. Uh, look, I think... Um, it's weird. I, I feel for the first time like the rules and codes we have and the mechanics we have and the questions we ask and the way we go about our business are the reason it's still alive. And we always, any new client that comes to see us, we ask, the very first question we ask is, why are you here? And I never used to ask that at Grey. I never used to say that. I'd be so happy that people were there. I'd be like, I can't wait to show you my work and we've done this thing. And of course, if you don't ask that question, you've no idea whether they actually want what you make. And so we do that. And that tells us if they say, oh, God, I saw Build a Life or I saw the British original stuff or, you know, I saw the one second suit thing. You then know that they're there for the right reasons, yeah. you know, and they'll want their version of events, but they're there for the, for the right stuff. It's when people say to me, um, you know, oh, you know, you were on a list and I saw all your work on your website. And I was like, well, you didn't because our website's a bouncing flag. So uh, it has no work on the website. And I, I, I love calling them out. I love calling them out. Yeah. And then they're kind of like, oh, well, did I mean your website? And I was like, well, come on, man. Yeah. And so that's good because it flushes out the people that have put you on a list or the people that really want to work with you. Yeah. And then we prioritize the latter, obviously. And that's how, we, you know, we keep the work it's at a so level. It's so rare how much that happens. I mean, years ago, I did kind of negotiation training and they mm. always teach you the first thing you should ask is what's the biggest business problem that you've got? Yeah. And and get and because as soon as you do that, yeah. suddenly the, the client is unloading yeah. all their business yeah. issues. And then you just basically reverse into it, don't you, in terms of, well, we For can sure. help here, we can solve it. Well, honestly, man, I mean, I think we're built on a positioning of, you know, their words burning might be category changing or money changing or politics. And I think all those things are where we find our sweet spot. You know, that plus, um, I think we have some excellent people. You know, I spent some time with Thomas Heatherwick and I was asking him about his business. I'm a massive fan of Thomas and what he's done and his work. You know, it actually is very divisive in his world, in the world of architecture and design. He's actually pretty divisive. But um, I was saying to him, you know, that's a 25-year-old business or something now. I said, what's the deal? And he said, look, I've got, I've got 10 to 20 people that have been there for over 10 years. You know, and Uncommon has, you know, I would argue a core crew of people that have been there almost as long as I have them. Those people now speak the language and understand the, the, you know, the studio as much as I do. Yeah. So that's the key to it, man. That's, that's how it's working and growing, I think. Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to ask you about your drum article because it, it, it was fantastic, right? Thank you. Just before we do, yeah. have some rosé of you know, can in it. I feel about this will go after can, but we are going to can next week. So I feel like we should open this anyway and, and toast your... Uh, yeah, your like that. Yeah. Uh, thanks to rosé in a can. He just says, cheers. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Is it chicken up in the? I know. <laughs> it's like mm. that, here we go. Delicious, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed. Have you heard of it? Yeah. And um, I love your article. Is advertising dead? Is he dead? Oh, look. Um, if I'm honest, that article was some speech notes to a conversation that we had uh, during Ad Week here in London. And then I wrote the notes because I'd run out of time and I couldn't, I usually like to memorize things and I ran out of time, I wrote them the night before. So I just read <laughs> and I looked at the notes and thought it's more succinct than I usually am. I thought, well, maybe I'll just ask someone if they want them. Both said Amy and, and the brilliant guys at the drum and they wanted them. 
I don't think advertising is dead, but I think advertising as we know it, or what you would refer to as the golden age of advertising, absolutely is. Mm. And I, and this is never a negative story with me. You know me. I'm not a pessimist or a cynic in that way, and I don't mean it in that way. But I think when we talk about what we mean by advertising, what you find most people doing, particularly romantic people who want to believe in it, is they don't actually talk about advertising at all. They talk about creativity. You know, and then you find yourself going, well, actually, how much of the ad industry is created? And this is my thing. I think that, you know, 75% of companies and, and 75% of agencies probably you could remove the word creativity and remove the act of creativity from their business and they would still make money. Now that's totally because they make content, they make integrated systems, they make delivery, they make logistics, they sell time, they sell speed and people and cheapness and, you know, all that other stuff. All of that's brilliant and necessary, but it's not the same thing as creativity. That's the point I'm making. Yeah. And I'm like, so first of all, there's that. And then you go, well, whether you agree with me or not, luckily, and this is the, the thread of the argument, this thing called AI's come along. Yeah. And so whether you buy my take or not, or you think all that is creative or not, the reason I can prove to you it's not creative is AI is going to take those things and do them better than anybody here can. So it's going to take, frankly, the shitty, quick, dirty parts of our business, and it's going to resist them. At which point you're left with the only thing we have left to sell, which is the only thing we're actually really able to sell at any massive value, which is creativity and our ability to use creativity to solve problems and make change. Couldn't agree more. Um, so my favorite campaign of yours recently, British Airways, I thought I'd ask ChatGPT to uh, come up with a strap line. So I'll pitch them to you. Tell me what you think. This is ChatGPT. Write me a strap line for British Airways. It gave me 10, right? <laughs> so you can choose which one you want. Um, connecting the world with British elegance. Discover the, discover the world in style. Fly with confidence. Elevating your journey. Unforgettable moments. The essence of British sophistication. Embrace the art of travel. Redefining the meaning of first class. Discover a world of possibilities. Or fly with the nation's most iconic airline. Incredible. Yeah, great. I mean, that's a salad of completely forgettable uh, yeah, words, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, none of them are... This is the brilliant thing about AI, right? None of them are wrong. Yeah. None of them are yes. wrong and none of them are really brilliant though, right? Yeah. And so I think the rule of AI a little bit at the moment or the rule of, of the way it's relating to our industry is kind of acceptable as long as you've heard it before. And I think, weirdly, by the way, though, I think there's an absolute place for that in some people's lives because I think some people have the same attitude to marketing, yeah. which is as long as I'm not touching the sides, really, yeah. and as it's kind of an exercise in not being noticed. Yes. And that's I, we've spoken about this a bit before, but yeah. that's always worried me, yeah. is that there's a bunch of companies and brands out there who just want to be in the ether and sort of be yeah. around don't really want to be discussed, don't really want to be noticed. I mean, honestly, it feels yeah. to me like the car industry. Risk-free, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was <laughs> going to, I mean, the car industry sound like they've had AI for about 10 years before everyone else, right? <laughs> well, that actually brings me to the second thing. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, no, because what I thought I'd do is I'd actually, I'd actually write a script for you. You see, not just <laughs> oh, have I... I'm just going to drink this rosé. I'm going to drink all of this rosé now. We even have a script. Mm. So I, I won't even begin to finish this. They've, they've seemed to have written me a 120-second one. So I'll just give you the first 30 Ambitious. seconds. Exactly. You'll get the idea. So... Write me a script for a British Airways commercial. It's called The Journey Within. Nice, actually. You know, there's an idea. A serene morning, the sun rises over a picturesque countryside. The narrator cuts in. In a world that moves so fast, we forget to pause, to breathe, to reconnect. Then we go to a bustling city. But what if there was a place where time stood still, where the journey within began? We cut to an elegant British Airways aircraft preparing for takeoff. Introducing British Airways, where every journey is a voyage of discovery. Inside the aircraft, passengers are sitting into their seats with a warm smile from the cabin crew. Step on board and leave the chaos behind. It goes on. You can imagine, the re- in fact, I don't even need to read the rest because you I can I'd love, already imagine I'd it. love your listeners to do I'd love them to annotate all that and then send it round enough so that somebody at one of the airlines and definitely all of the car actually manufacturers actually goes, oh shit, this is actually yes. our script. Well, it is every car yeah. ad, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's also every car ad after it's been through research. Yes. Is, I'll tell you what, yeah. we're, we're doing yeah. the country, but shall we get into the city? Yeah. And shall we get into, and like, yeah. you're like, anything as long as it's in the middle. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's weird. It's the right? sunset. It's the, it's, yeah. it's, you yeah. know, it's, it's the city. Yeah. Escape yeah. as you're driving slowly, yeah. slow mo on the wheels. As imagine they turn, a, imagine you know. a what? Imagine anything. Imagine, yeah. yeah imagine. Imagine is yeah. Uh, akin to here's to the, which is also yeah. one of my fucking. I hate. <laughs> here's to the. No. Yeah. Here's no. the. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. The wishes, the thinkers, the doers, <laughs> yeah. the blingers. I sometimes can't even keep up with some car ads now because it's like you know. 
style is an attitude. (laughs) I tell you what, man, I want a car brand just so I can literally make the worst version of that. Okay, name a car brand. Come on, we've got to do this together. Come on, give give me the car brand that Uncommon are going (laughs) to... Well, I tell you what, I do have a crush. I mean, I'd love to work on Polestar. Yes. I have these crushes from afar on brands. And and actually, to, to... so far, they've, they've always failed me in that the brands I least expect to be ambitious and really want change come and they're amazing. And the brands I deeply believe must be amazing. I tend to approach them and go, should we have a chat? And then I'm like, oh no, you're robots. Um, so I hope they're not. But, but I think Polestar, their aesthetic, their vibe, their commitment is absolutely brilliant. I actually think the design system they use is, is lush as well, uh, but they are holding back from being famous, aren't they? Yeah. And all that other stuff. I, I just don't know why car brands are so scared to actually get noticed, particularly if I were one of those legacy ones. If I'm a legacy car brand at this point, probably behind the curve in terms of my innovation, all you've got is your brand because yeah. you haven't got the product right. You're, you're yeah. behind. So at that point, you're like, why wouldn't you take a chance? And we're at this massive inflection point with EV, right? Everything's changing. Everything's up for grabs. And you could just make a once in a generation shift in your brand. Yeah, I think that's it. VW got formed there. I wish they'd take the gloves off a bit. It feels like like there's a couple of bosses over there and one's fun and one isn't. Yes. That's sort of how they feel. (laughs) (laughs) I might be completely wrong. It's very naive of me to say that from a distance, but it feels like that. Occasionally, there's a little thing that pops up. Oh, I remember when they were good. Well, because we've got a System 1 database, we test all the car ads, right? So we have all this, right? The last good car ad yeah. had a cake in it. Yeah. It was Skoda cake. Wow, man. I mean, and yeah. that's 10 years ago. Do you right? know what I was watching this morning? No lie, was um, Night Driving by VW. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Absolutely oh, beautiful. Think, Dylan yeah. Thomas poem. Yeah. All the wives yeah. and the fishers' wives now. Absolutely amazing. VW had that really good run, didn't they? Yeah. So it's like 15, were, 20 years. Of, but you like, see that with brands. You're seeing it with Heinz at the moment, Burger mm. King previously. I think there's just these like halcyon, like purple patches that brands have. Absolutely attributed, by the way, to the people yeah. running them, I'm sure. 100%. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, yeah, I missed that for the car industry. And if I was someone there, I'm like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Currently, you are edit salad of cars going around, but, you know, Ben's in Barcelona. Yeah. With some unintelligible end line that, yeah. you know, could also... Glamorous match. couple. 100 All that shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, someone just needs to go and have some fun with it right. before it's all Objection over. number one from this podcast, Polestar, Uncommon. Please. Let's do this. Give us a call, guys. Give yeah. us a call. <laughs> okay, so I've, I've pitched AI to you. Yeah. Let's talk about the actual British Airways work, because sure. I, I, I love it. Talk to me about the, what was the brief, if you can share any of it, and how did you get to the idea for that well, the brief, campaign? The, the original conversation with British Airways, which was akin to the conversation we had with ITV and people like B&Q also, was, you know, not really about advertising at all. It was about rediscovering the energy of that business coming out of COVID in particular. Mm. You know, and I sort of remember thinking the more we met them and the team are are brilliant by the way but the more we met them i was like these guys need a thought internally these guys need to believe in in an idea of themselves and they need to rediscover who they are and not be as ashamed and rediscover some brilliant bits about who they are and then use that to fuel the whole organization and hopefully if then some of that can translate into some great work that's a wonderful thing so british original was born and it felt very much to us like that was absolutely true of that airline you know, the, the stuff they've done in the past and the innovations they've made and all the above. You know, they've flown the Queen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and the Concorde and all of the above. But also it felt like every one of their people, whatever you wanted to say, they were originals. They weren't like this carbon copy. They weren't like, you know, Virgin staff, which in my head are, you know, bordering on a carry-on film sometimes or, you know, or even the servile nature of some of the, the Middle Eastern airlines. It didn't have any of that stuff. They, they're all originals. They're all, you know, allowed to be and, and celebrated for who they are. You know, despite the uniform and despite the uniformity of the airline, you can see them all come out. And I just felt like that was that was true of them. And then you look at all the collaborations they might make possible, all the places they might go, all the people that will fly with them, all the British dreams and hopes and brands that might be born of them. And was just really excited by that. So British Original was born and it felt as much, you know, there's always this temptation, which is, are you badging the organisation as it is or are you creating an idea to pull it forwards and i felt like it had the right mix of both you touched on something quite interesting there i think sometimes clients underestimate is the importance of uh, advertising for the business and the staff themselves and um i was chatting to richard warren actually on the podcast a few weeks ago and i think he was pitching for one of the major banks and what he did in the pitch is he actually went and presented the idea to the staff in the branch yeah and film them yeah. uh, being really proud of it and going, oh, that's, you know, it makes me feel yeah. great. And I feel, I suddenly feel part of something. And of course we're on the pitch because imagine turning up and going, this is what, you know, Brenda from yeah. Halifax thinks of, you know, yeah. the, you know, the, the creative ideas. As, I mean, we sometimes forget that, don't we? That it's, it's treated as this external thing. Well, honestly, but I mean, how, uh, how, how much do you want to matter is the yeah. question. 
you know, if you're a creative or a, or a studio or an agency, how much would you like your idea to matter? Because marketing, you, whatever you want to say, matters less than 65,000 employees at B&Q. Yeah. You know, and if every one of those people's even remotely buoyed by an idea or being celebrated, yeah. then things are going to work much harder for you. Yeah. So 100%, like all of our, our best relationships have always done that. You know, the work with Carol and ITV and, and those yeah. guys too. Love so. the ITV stuff. It's great. Yeah, thanks, really man. good. Really good. Keeps on going as well. Something I was going to ask you about as well. One of the impressive things about Rochelle's campaign was the number of different oh, yeah. productions you did. Yeah. Right. Is it, is, did I read it right? About 500 different... 512, yeah. Well, 512 we, we set this nonsense <laughs> thing for ourselves and we often do this. We like getting ourselves into trouble. We said, wouldn't it be brilliant if the launch wasn't this big, guffy film that was trying to explain it all in, in that way? And actually, we just celebrated all the different reasons people travel. You know, and, and actually the idea that travel does make you more original, right? That's a key part of the idea. And then someone in a review went, wouldn't it be brilliant if every execution was original? And we were like, right. And we got the media agency. Oh, I room. see. Yeah, now it, got it. Yeah, got it. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, I got it yeah, now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were like, right. Okay. What, what if every one was original and no yeah. two were the same and all yeah. the above? And the media guy's like, yeah, except. So production department going, oh, <laughs> yeah. <my God." laughs> yeah, well, that's it. But we got to this, I mean, side effect cheap, but hopefully beautiful solution of the business leisure, dot, dot, dot. And we yeah. were like, well, God, it's so graphic. It's really cool. And then we said to the media guys, right, we want every one of them to be different. And they were like, don't be ridiculous. If you do that, you have to write 500 of them. And we're like, all right, then we'll do it. And uh, so we briefed the whole studio. We briefed everyone we knew. That campaign worked like a weird confessional. Because if you ask everyone to write their business leisure, why have you really flown here? There was shit coming out, honestly. (laughs) Like, to dance naked with a stranger at 3 a.m. You're like, okay, chill out. I'm not printing that on a Facebook. So it was funny. Um, But that was the gag. Did it it work in social as well? Did you have have people filling in their own dot, dot, dots? 100%. We had some memes pick it up and we had some few others. The the new version of that campaign is literally breaking as we speak, actually. Uh, I don't know when this goes out, but um, in the next few days that breaks. There's a brilliant one. Oh, I, I, you need to see it. Anyway, there's a brilliant one about Vegas, which I think you'll enjoy. Uh, which, but I, I'd say the thing we didn't do enough of last time, in my opinion, was almost play with the art direction of it and I guess it's tactility. Yeah. So, you know, we did one that was dripping because it was... I love that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, so okay. obvious. But Everyone just, loved that one. I love so that we were one. like, yeah. right, God, we need to do more of those. Yeah. So we've got a yeah. load more of those coming yeah. and, and that stuff. We're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, because one, one of the things I really admired about it was the simplicity of the idea, like the passport photo, you know, it was it's so simple. And I think sometimes... It, actually, weirdly, if I put my system one hat on, the most common, nine times out of ten, my feedback to anybody will be, do less. Yeah. Honestly, because like we try and like force every message in, every reason to believe. We, you know, we cut up the scenes really quickly. We try and put all the T's and C's in. But it was beautifully simple, wasn't Thank it? Thank you. Yeah, we, we, we always try and do that. We are, I mean, there's a few exercises we go through at Uncommon, but... You know, we have a great strategy department and the key to doing that, by the way, is, you know, informed by Lucy, obviously, but is to try not to say 52 things in the brief is always really helpful. But even outside of that, I think we try to make things that are going to be a reference point or remarkable somehow. Mm. And the things that get shared in that context, if you think about what they are, are magazine covers, album covers, key images, all that. So anything that can be an icon for your idea. So the passports were great once we were onto that. The business leisure dot, dot, dot is like that. The black butterfly for The Guardian originally the OG B&Q work, you know, it's like, you'll see the pattern once you, yeah. once you know our game, yeah, yeah, you'll see yeah. it in the work. But uh, dude, I've, I've, you know, indirectly and accidentally, we've become a, a really, um, we make a lot of outdoor, you know, we make a lot of posters. And I think, I remember the days when people would go around and try and get agencies to make more. Do you remember they'd come in and try and persuade you to do poster campaigns yeah. and you'd be like, no, we want to do telly. Yeah. I think now outdoor yeah. in particular has become the reference point media for brands. Yeah. You know, because it somehow says we're out in the real world. You know, you see it travel like you've never seen it. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing tactical ads get sent around on TikTok, yeah. you know, yes. and you're like, and you're like, OK, yes. cool. So, you know, there's lots more of that going on. And I, I'm really relieved by it. I mean, as a designer by trade, I, I adore the fact that, you know, a medium like that, that comes across that, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I saw a MailChimp ad and it said this could have been an email yeah. kind of thing on, yeah. on a big, yeah. massive album Amazing. sort of thing. Oh, that's really clever. I mean, one of my favorite ones is this uh, Nike piece of work from God knows how long ago now. It was just a white, it looked like it had been typeset in Word, which really moved me. And it just said, yesterday you said tomorrow. And I was just like, oh. And I remember seeing that and it gave me hairs on my arms. And, and the thing it also taught me when I saw that was, that's not really an ad for Nike. That's a sentiment that I align myself with, that I am hit by, that I feel that I want to share. Yeah. And so if you look again at all our work, we're always trying to push that in. We will yeah. grow again. Hope is yeah. power. Yes. Like yeah. we are like, okay, how do we say things that just we wish we could put into the world? Yeah. And hopefully they align with the brand. You know what I mean? But that, that sort of stuff uh, is, is the approach, yeah. I think maybe the challenge out, out of home is to think about how do we make this so powerful 
that it just becomes social media. Yeah. You know, it just, it just it, people no, would it. want to take photos yeah. of it. When we did you know, the, like arts. 100%, man. When we did the early ITV work, but, but most of the brands, we have a bit of paper on the wall that just says, holy shit, did you see that ITV thing? You know, and that, that's the brief. That's the real brief, which is, so we're all in a review. There's no like, do I like it or don't I? Yeah. Is anyone going to take a photo of it? What's remarkable about it? Why does it hit you? They're the key questions. There's a mechanic to it. Yeah. It's not, yeah. people assume it's this sort of crafty, artful luck. And it's like, it, I don't think the best places were like that. I know, because I was commenting on this uh, MailChimp one, and I said, um, yeah, odd media placement, that, out of homes, talk about emails. And then I was like, hang on a minute, here's me sharing it to the world, you know, talking about it. I've fallen for the trap, you know. I saw uh, there was an insurer one, wasn't there, a brilliant insurance one, go get into trouble, which I thought was excellent. You know, you just, any bit of spirit like that, you're just like, oh, well, the world misses it, I think. It does indeed. So let's go back to... What what what's AI going to do to creativity? So I mean, I think we, we, we're going to if we if if AI can take care, as you say, of all the kind of the shit stuff. What does that mean for creativity? Well, it's going to liberate it. It's going to make taste important again. Mm. You know, I, if you look at um, you did Chat GPT, which I think is interesting, and you're looking at that. If you look at Mid Journey yeah. and the images it creates, they all have the same grade. Yeah, they've all got this weird deep, saturated, dreamy yeah. vibe. We're going to get really sick of that really quick. Everyone's going to be putting in Jürgen Teller shots, point and click, Terry Richard, you know, because we're going to get bored of it because we are constantly in a search for new as an industry. Yeah. And so I think what's interesting is it's going to make taste really, really important again. Anybody bringing new vibes, aesthetics, musics, energies to the mix, those people are going to be more important than they have been, you know, because you're going to see a swathe of stuff. I mean, honestly, I really do think it's going to bring the importance back to creativity in its broadest sense. Well, in a way, the threat means it, hopefully that's inevitable, right? Yeah. Because you won't have a business. If your business is reproduction or, you know, yeah. making yeah. 10,000 iterations yeah. of yeah. a standard ad, you can't, you know, that, that can well, be like, source now. Some people will do that. And, it, and their argument would be, well, it's how creatively you harness AI to do those things. And I'm in agreement with that. Some people are going to make a fuck ton of money doing that. But I don't think you're ever going to see again one company be drawn against another in a pitch where, where you have seen that, where one company basically is 75% adaption and, and brand schlong and one company is a highly creative one. You're never going to see that again. Yeah. People are going to go, okay, what do I need? Yeah. Do I need consistency, integration and content? In which case I'll go to these four providers of AI and they can yeah. battle it out over cost and speed. Yeah. They're not going to involve and waste the time of legitimate creative companies anymore in that yeah. space. Secondly, you're going to see the creative companies have to just raise their game. I hope we're really going to see a new movement, a new renaissance, particularly in the UK, I think we fucking need it, of radical creativity. Because that is like, once you're free, once you realise you simply cannot make money anymore from the guff, so all you've got is that, and you're in a race to be more original, more new, more differentiated, more disruptive, well, surely that's just going to create a massive amount of, of, of new you know, companies and intent. So... That's my dream anyway. That's the optimism. It's really weird, actually. I, I've sort of gone on a weird journey with AI going, you know, I started with, oh, shit, this is going to be a disaster. Then to embracing it, go, oh, I can do some stuff pretty well. Then thinking, damn, this is an opportunity. Because actually what it's doing is bringing everything back to the median and yeah. the average. Yeah. And the brands that are going to win are going to be ones that actually embrace proper creativity. Yeah. That's going to be a competitive advantage. When all your, when all your competitors are using AI yeah. to generate right. what we've just yeah. talked about, right, you've got to be the one that stands out. 100%. You know. yeah. do, you, do you think, um, I mean, obviously you must talk to a lot of CMOs. Do you think CMOs understand the value of creativity? Do, do they get what you've just... Not all of them. And, I, and by the way, I think it's easy for me to say they don't get it or they don't understand it. I don't think that's true. I think some of them don't want it. Mm. So, so define creativity. My, my definition, and this is the problem, right? Yeah. When someone goes into a room... I talk about this a lot, but when someone goes into a room, they go, I'd like a creative idea. Stop in that moment and ask everyone in that room on their own to tell you what creativity means. They will all say something completely different. And that's the thing. Someone will go, oh, an idea that's seamless and lives in any media. Someone else will go, an idea that shocks and moves me. They're completely different things. Yeah. And so our thing is like, well, what creativity do you want? And I've, I've always argued that some marketeers don't want our version of creativity. And our version of creativity is really, I suppose, an approach and a way of seeing the world. You know, and if you see the world like we do, if we align in that approach, that creativity can fix a problem, fuel a passion, move you to change, you know, speed change up and, and, and make a radical difference to your business. If you don't align with that, probably don't work with us. There'll be other versions of creativity that may apply to you, but that's ours. I've always loved the analogy when you look at fashion or you look at any other visionary, everyone's like, Virgil Abloh is such a visionary. Virgil worked with cotton like H&M worked with cotton, like the store on the corner works with cotton. So there was no difference. There was no algorithm. There was no secret technique he had. Yeah. All he had was how he saw the world. Yeah. 
This is true of our companies. Yeah. All you've got is that. Early Hal Henry had it in, in something. They were like, there is no magic. It's just your view of things. And occasionally you meet people who see the world a bit like you and you're placing it a bit like you. You know, some brands, they meet us and they go, do you know what? That fucking resonates with me. I'm going to give these guys a go and together we'll go and make the leap. And people then say to me, how come you make all this brave work? I'm like, well, it's not brave. Neither of us think it's brave. We just think it's appropriate and we yeah. think it's the route and we think it's the only route. You know, we're more scared of things staying as they are than we are of things yeah, being I, different. I, that's so true. I, I think being brave would be not doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. thinking you're going to get a different result. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Well, that would be a brave thing to do. I mean, also, the subject of bravery and what we do is a bit mad. My wife uh, says this, you know, I said to her once I was going to do a talk on creative bravery and she said, fuck off, firemen get to talk about bravery. You sell cheese. <laughs> I was brilliant. like, okay, Charlotte Leonard, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I sell um, cheese. Yeah, well, I was like, fine. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of get it when everyone's talking about it, but we're all pretending our jobs are on the line. And I actually think th this is why I make the point about what a marketeer or what a leader really wants in their organization. You know, what are you more afraid of is the question. That is a good point there. I mean, I, um, we had uh, Les Burnett and Sarah Castor on the show a few weeks ago, and she's got this quote that, you know, you, you must start your planning on the assumption the customer doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, right, because, you know, we, we're well, we, we, you know, we're too absorbed in our own kind of cleverness and, you know, our mark. Even the, talking about chat GPT, I went and tested a couple of the McDonald's um, uh, and Burger King one. And, uh, you know, it, literally, if you read LinkedIn in the last week, you'd think this was the biggest revolution in flipping marketing that's ever. You know, they scored yeah. average. Yeah. Right. Did anyone mention chat GPT in the feedback? No. They, they honestly, they didn't even know it's ChatGPT. So the, the average person down the street is not getting themselves worked up by Burger King and McDonald's having a face-off on who can write the best ChatGPT no, ad. They don't you give know? a shit. We're they talking to ourselves. Exactly. And by the way, I, I think as long as we know we're talking to ourselves, I don't think that's a bad marketing strategy. I've always believed this. People ask me why. They were like, oh, you know, when you launched that coffee halo, you just launched it to the creative industry. I was like, yeah, the really highly paid progressive creative industry who like coffee. I was like, yeah, you're fucking right, I did. Of course I did. Um, but I, I think marketing to ourselves is absolutely fine, but I, I also think we've got to own when it's not really popular. Actually, I get that as well. I've been criticised for, John, you're just marketing to marketers. Yeah. I'm going, little secret. They're my audience. <laughs> yeah, and there's like 10 million of them. <laughs> and uh, and you know what? They're yeah. well paid and they buy stuff yeah. and they're influential. Yeah, that. I'm just yeah, like, that, that shit, go yeah. figure. That's not an excuse though, is it really, to run those kind of indulgent ads? No, no, they're no, hoping exactly. they can make waves when they do a case study. So like, I'm sort of, yeah, I'm in agreement. The other thing though, by the way, is that if we wanted to think about what the real world think, you know, yeah, they don't give a shit about you, but far worse than that, you know, 75% of brands could disappear tomorrow and no one would care. Yeah. So never mind the fact they're not thinking about you. Yeah they're actively ignoring you to the point where if your brand isn't innovating, you are going to die, man. Yeah. It's not up for debate. You just are. You know, Ikea's head of sustainability said we've reached peak stuff. I've said that before, but that's, I love that phrase. The idea we're full, you know, in the West, we have enough things. You know, the sentiment now is we don't want more things. We want a different relationship with the things and products in our lives. I just think all that's telling. And so if you're looking at creativity and what it can do, you're not going to look at AI and go, how do I solve those two things with AI? Yeah. You know, what's AI going to say? Matter more? Well, I think, I think it gets even worse. I mean, you talk to, you know, look at behavioural science. That actually, too much choice is stressful. Yeah. And we can't make decisions yeah. when we're confronted with, too, you know, actually fewer things yeah. is, is also easier. I also think, lastly, I mean, I, I really believe this is a very uncommon sentiment, but Daniel Ek from Spotify said, the value of a company is the sum of the problems it solves. Yeah. And I've just always loved that. And then you think, well, the value of a creative studio is the sum of the problems it yeah. can solve. And the value of a creative is the sum of the problems they can solve. And you go, okay, just unpick all that. That's and that, that's yeah. pretty much that's, yeah. our view of it. And that's, that's know, what we forget, isn't it? That's what yeah. we forget. We're here to solve problems, right? Well, and then we get, we get yeah. too wrapped yeah. up in the how yeah. we solve. Well, know, also, how. what problem are you solving? Yeah. We'd like things a slightly different shade of blue. That's not a fucking problem. Yeah. We'd like things slightly more consistent. That's also not a problem. Yeah. It's really not. You know, so I'm like, that's where we go wrong is yeah. we're like, well, okay, this whole campaign, this whole pitch, we're organized to solve this problem. Well, what problem? We want a 1% uplift in pie sales. Yeah. Okay, it's not really a problem. <laughs> We'd suggest you probably go somewhere else at that point. All right. What are the biggest problems that we as an industry need to solve? Well, man, the fact we're being ignored, the fact yeah. that people are paying actual money to avoid us. They're paying actual money, John. Yeah. Their hard-earned money to avoid our whole industry. Exactly. Probably that one. <laughs> there you go. Start um, I think, uh, I honestly think we've got to look at talent. We've got to look at why uh, I'm consistently having conversations with my peers around where's the creative leadership gone, you know, in our industry, in this country, in Europe, in the world. We've got to look to the fact that the platforms 
have grown and, and done their thing. But really, I think, and I'll say this, I think they've hijacked some of the best creative minds from our whole industry and made them disappear. You know, they've gone off into the ether and now they might be earning great money and having lovely lives and all the above, but they're now invisible and not playing a part in our industry. And so I think that's a problem, you know, and I think there are going to be new waves and new companies. And I'm a massive fan of what, you know, our contemporaries are doing here abroad in Europe and, and in the States. But I think that is a problem for us. I think looking at looking at our industry, you know, and I think the problem that AI will fix for us, whether we like it or not, is the value of our offering. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's increased. You know, everyone talks about the golden age of advertising. The one thing they never talk about is we used to earn a fucking fortune. I mean, we did. Go back 25 years ago, Michael Bolt was driving a new shade of Ferrari every, every yeah. year, man, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not changed in 25 years. So you kind of yeah. go, well, that's super interesting. Um, what are we getting paid for? How much is it valuable in clients' eyes? What do they cut first when they're in the shit? Yeah. All of these things. So I think all these are, are problems, probably on the inside, but, yeah. you know. So what kind of movement are we going to create then? I know I wanged on about movement, but I, I, um, I think it's a really weird time for creative agencies. And again, I'm talking about the UK because I think it's evident here, but you're seeing for the first time, I think, if this is unfair, forgive me, but I think you're seeing companies that we previously presumed were immortal, almost creatively, you know, the big BBHs, the Abbott Meads or whatever. I think everybody, there's been a rebalance. And I think in a good and bad way, but I think a lot of that is really, really telling. And I don't know where it's going to come out. And I think any movement and any change like that is always like a sign of something coming. And I think AI, AI being born and all the change in our industry and all the above means something's coming. Now, I want to believe glass half full that we're going to renegotiate our relationship with creativity and you're going to see all the new companies that we love around us, you know, be it the, the Wonderhoods of the world, the NCAs of the world and all those guys, including us, hopefully go and make some, some waves and start to change things. But I don't believe there are enough companies being truly radical with our relationship with creativity and with our relationship with brands. You know, Mischief in the States that everyone refers to, and I don't mean Greg Hahn's brilliant agency, Mischief, I mean the actual company, Mischief, spelt without vowels, I think teach us a really interesting lesson. I don't know if you know those guys. They're like, they call themselves an art collective. They're kind of like whatever. I think they've gone from being some people that were trying a few punts, creating some quite provocative work on their own with no clients to making things that are now selling for $10,000 on Hypebeast. And the lessons are all in the birth of their company. They haven't asked any permission. They're not dependent on brands to make their moves. They're being sought after in the way that people like Samuel Ross are being sought after for their opinion, for their view of the world and for their for their contributions. So I just think all the lessons are there, we have to be more desirable. We have to stop, you know, being in service and being in thrall. I, I just don't think that's a healthy relationship for either side. Yeah. And I'm hoping all that's going to change. The thing I'm keen to try and do is is demonstrate the value of creativity too, particularly to the people in positions of power. Because I, I just think it, it's the biggest, literally is the biggest single yeah. thing you've got at your disposal, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, evidence suggests that. And, you know, it's, it's the most powerful tool you've got for any to transform any business but i just don't think they need to I, be in need they need to need yeah. it. so I, I think any eulogy to it is not going to change anybody's mind me guffing on on here isn't going to until they get punched in the face and i think um that's the reality of it when your business is in the shit and 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 i I'm, you know we talk about clients in a moment of change what i really mean is most of the clients that approach us are in a bit of oh my god okay if we don't get this right now we're kind of screwed yeah. and so that's when i see the need for creativity yeah. think about any time you've been caught lying yeah. right go with me on this <laughs> uh, you know the shit that pops into your head as an excuse for why you did or didn't do something you kind of go ah you're, that's your mind reacting yeah. so i think creativity is the reaction to frustration pressures or crisis that's the most radical form of creativity now if you're frankly in your job as a cmo and you're comfy and you're comfy in your brand and you don't really care well then you're never going to really seek it out because you don't need it now you will need it if that's your attitude, is my opinion. No, you, point, you know, you're but, absolutely you know. right. I, I did an exercise recently, write down my five most creative moments in my career. Mm. They all correlated. When did to, you do this? Are you just sat in bed and you just like... Yeah, I just... I just, <laughs> I was just like, well, I was thinking, uh, genuinely, right, I, there aren't many books on creativity. I, I, I was um, chatting to Kev, um, Kev Chesters. He wrote oh, yeah. this book called Creative Nudge, right? And it got me thinking, there are very few books on where creativity comes from, how to foster creativity, what creativity is. I thought, that's interesting. There isn't very many. Anyway, so I thought, to myself i'm gonna write down my most creative moments and it, it was very interesting because most of them had no money involved most of them weren't 
traditional in terms of kind of media, almost all of them were in moments of crisis, like the factory had broken down, yeah. you know, or I had to launch something in 12 weeks, not 12 months. They all had enormous constraints yeah. of some kind, constraint of time, constraint yeah. of money, constraint of resource. And by far, my best work yeah, was 100%. done we call in it that reverse, situation. We call it reverse parking. So Sam Walker, uh, was he got his title, something hilarious at our place, like ECD at large. But Sam has this phrase, which is, uh, I fucking ate a blank sheet of paper. Tell me the worst thing about the brief, please. Okay, it's got to open with a payment moment or, you know, if it's a tele ad or, you know, we're going to build a store, but the store has to do these things. I'm like, great, start with the worst thing about the brief and nail it, nail it instantly. And then you're free. And I just think that's a great that's a liberating thing. So any moment of crisis, I think it compels that. I think it's huge. It's you know? massive, yeah. Um, your book's on creativity, though. Th- yeah. There are quite a few. Yeah, yeah, Two Go key on. ones. Well, Creativity Inc. is yep. the OG one, Ed Catmull, Pixar, mm-hmm. which I think is brilliant if you're interested in organisation. Yeah. Best one I've read for a long time is Rick Rubin, uh, his latest book. Now, I find Rick a bit guffy on camera, and I think, you know, you could, you know, if you're a marketeer, you'll probably look at him and think, what's that guy got to teach me? The book is distilled, and I swear to God, I found myself taking a photo of every other page in that book, wow. you know, and it's just, um, it's massively applicable to what we do. Yeah. You know, if you think about what he does, his relationship with music artists, being candid, the majority of the time they go to him is when they're boring. Mm. You know, they turn yeah, up and they, course, go, they yeah. go to Rick, fuck, yeah. okay, we've made three or four albums. Yeah. I don't really know where I'm going. And he helps them rediscover themselves and what's different about themselves again. And then he negotiates that with the world and culture. And I just think that's an amazing thing. Wow. Um, and, and linked to that as well, given the growth of Uncommon, because you know, you know, hundreds of people now, and yeah. you know, moving offices and all the kind of stuff that might be involved in that. How do you create the culture? How do you create a culture around you that fosters that kind of creativity that is so well, special? I think, um, I, I think we, we honestly, man, we have we have questions, we have stories, we have people who've been there long enough to speak the same language that I and Lucy and Nat speak. But the, the truth is culture, I think, is a definition of saying the same thing every day. And some of it isn't very interesting to say, I'm going to be honest with you, but people give up on that. I remember seeing a guy talk on, on this thing once and he said, so I turned up, you know, first six months, sort the culture, that's sorted. And then I mean, and I was like, fucking what? Yeah. <laughs> no, you didn't, man. You, what? And it, because culture is something you live every single day. Yeah. So we have a culture for our work and we have a culture for how we work. I would argue most places don't think that hard about it. So we ask key questions of the work, you know, uh, what friction is it resolving? Is it dancing on a fault line in culture? Why will anyone talk about it? What's the icon for the idea? You know, how is what we're making original or standout? What are you going to feel at the end of it? All those things we think are hygiene factors for getting to great work. They're ours. They're not everyone's. They're ours. We then say, well, here's how we work. We have no passengers in every meeting. We have no passenger clients. You know, so we don't have a single client that just keeps the lights on in inverted commas. And we won't take one on for that. You know, there are these rules, I think, that define a culture. Um, I think it's used lazily, that word, a lot of the time. You know, we have a lovely culture. Do you mean fucking beanbags and and yoga? Because that's not a culture. You know, and I'm I'm a little, I get kind of annoyed by that because I think also that type of behaviour removes the performance from our industry. I really do. You know, and I know some people are like, it's not about that. It's about being happy. I'm like, well, I would argue that the majority of people are uncommon are happy because they're making the best work of their lives and their job is fulfilling, not because they have a yoga morning on a Thursday and totally you know, everyone gets a neck fucking tattoo at some yeah. sort of away yeah. day. I'm like, There's no point if you're like happy on beanbags yeah. and we've missed all our yeah. targets yeah. and we've now got to yeah. fire someone. Well, yeah. that's it. That's what I mean. Yeah. No one's yeah. happy. You know? no, no, no one's no, happy in that way, situation. Not, yeah, so all that stuff I think is stuff we believe. I, I learned something. I mean, this might be useful to you. I used to try and make these lists at Grey or, or a bit like you, I sit around thinking about nonsense. And I was like, right, here's the things that I think make... And I was learning my shit at the time. Yeah. But I was like, you know, does the idea do this? Does it? And I was like, Christ, okay. And then I realised some of the best ways to teach people about things are just to tell them a story, a real story about a person who literally epitomises the thing you're trying to do. And so we started doing that. So we're making a little book. Uh, hopefully it'll be out soon. But we... We literally have just a series of stories about people that work at Uncommon or moments that have happened or literally WhatsApp exchanges where you can see far more than I could explain to you in rules. You can see the evidence of what we're talking about. One thing I've noticed you do actually quite a lot is, is you create and invent things like, you know, launching your coffee, for example, or, or creating the middle finger flower display. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where, where is that kind of, you know, walking the walk or what, what's the thought yeah, behind be kind of making things yeah, we, as well we, as... We want to be prolific and yeah. we don't want to be dependent. You know, there's a lot of talk in our industry of we were going to do this thing and then the client didn't buy it. We waited nine months. They're still saying they're going to do it. How can we be dependent on them 
you know, to make our dreams come true. We have this phrase, which is, are you dependent on people less ambitious yeah. than you to yeah. make your dreams come true? And I, I look at, I just think the definition of insanity isn't them not letting you. Yeah. You know, it's you still asking. Yeah. And I just think that's the bit that really does my head in. It's like, guys, you know, it's their fault all the time. Mm. I'm like, it's not their fucking fault. Mm. It's your fault. You keep asking. Find a way to go and do it. And this, this is the mischief example I give you in the States is those guys fundraise, make their own money, hustle away and get it done. And it always pays you back, man. You know, we did the big gay donation with Miriam Margolis. She got on board for free just to make that point. You know, everybody involved in that project just wanted to do that, which was yeah. a crowdfunded bribe, obviously, uh, to host the World Cup in somewhere that wasn't LGBTQIA unfriendly. We do a lot of stuff like that because yeah. we want to be prolific in the world and make our difference, but we don't want to be dependent on people around us to do it. You know, we want to work on our clients' briefs and for them to make similar kinds of impact but I don't want to constantly be asking them for permission. I think the other thing people may not realise looking in is, is the power of generosity as well. Like if you give stuff away like that or ideas away or make things. I mean, I found this on the podcast. You know, people say to me, John, why are you like putting all this time and effort into giving away all this free content? I can't tell you the amount of connections, the amount of good stuff that's happened, the people that have sold more books or been on stage or connected or, you know, amazing things happen and then you get flooded with people going oh we'd like to involve you in something yeah, or come yeah. along to this or yeah. it's incredible no it's man just, i love that just, phrase i think you're absolutely right vicky mcguire has this thing which is the world loves you know oxygen or loves a gap or whatever but i think when you put things out there stuff does just happen it really does you know and, and even sometimes in your gut you can feel that you want to and i think you just don't have to justify to yourself if you're getting that feeling yeah. that's enough go and yeah. do it you know and I, I i remembered as well in my previous lives trying to pay creatives to be happy, trying to give creatives titles to be happy, trying to, you know, I don't know, I'd do stupid shit, like, you know, give them a slightly bigger desk or give them a new, give them a new Mac or something. And I realized all the best creative talent want is to be making. They want to make work and they want people to be talking about their work. And so I was like, well, okay, how do we create an organization that's more prolific than any other, that puts more into the world? You know, so we have a thing called FAF tax. Do you know about FAF tax? No, no, no. Okay, so, yeah. so one thing we realized is in our industry, you can get paid a vast amount of money to make decks. And I remember being, again, in a previous life, spending literally 15 months making work yeah. that was decks and thinking and strategies and whatever that never went out into the world. Now, as a startup or an independent, if you do that, you're invisible. So you might be making money, man, but you're basically killing yourself because you're not putting work out. So we said, okay, how do we get around that? Well, we're going to make this thing called FAF tax, which is if within six months we haven't made something, we're going to charge you 25% more. Wow. If we haven't made something. What, for, for the clients? Yeah. Right, so, yeah. oh, really? Yeah. That's good. We've never had Ooh. to do it, man. People okay. seek us out for it, but, but you know, think about it. Well, it goes up 50% if it's a year yeah, and then course. just keep putting the price. If yeah. you think about it, it's not... People are assuming that just winning these bits of business and just being paid is value. And I'm like, it's not. If you're in the business of creativity and you're not making, you're not, there's no output. Yeah. Ultimately, it's it's worse than just making money. You're yeah. actually doing yourself a disservice because you've got the best time of your best people. And it's opportunity cost, yeah. presumably, that. of not making work exactly. for other people that could exactly be amazing. That. And Fantastic. every time, by the way, we've walked away from one of those opportunities, every time we've done it, another one has come yeah. that's more appropriate. I yeah. promise you. I just wish we all had a bit more faith. Oh, do you know, that, that is so true. Because I, I think this is, this is what a lot of founders and startups don't realise. I mean, I feel the same. You feel that nervousness of going, is yeah. it going to come in? Yeah. And it always does. Yeah. And, and even yeah. though you look back and go, well, in the last yeah. six months it's yeah. come in, yeah. I can't see it in the yeah. next six months because it's blank, but it yeah. always comes just in. Believe, you just have yeah. to make the jump. It, uh, here's another thing. It's like when we started Uncommon, we told everyone this story about ourselves, but it was, it was a lie until it wasn't. It was a story. We want to build brands of world wishes. We're going to yeah. do all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when you make your first bits of work, if you haven't reneged on your values, you have to take a beat to say to everybody and yourself, this is what we meant. So OVO, our first bit of work, Slayer, all that stuff, yeah. Green Energy, yeah. WWF, you know, all those moments are the evidence yeah. of that belief working. Yeah. And so when you start doing that, you start, you start realising, you start believing. You do. <laughs> and I just, it sounds incredible, but why have we all been talked out of that? I just yeah. think there's, a, there's something in that, John, which is... I know. Yeah. Why doesn't this industry believe we yeah. can do that? I know. I, I think That's huge. A, yeah, that is I huge. So. I mean, I, this is a very cheap example, but I remember um, when, I, when, I, I, when I started the podcast, I borrowed the Paul Arden. As you read the book, it's not how good you are, it's how good you want to be. And his, it was his um, subtitle that caught my eye because it said the world's best-selling book by Paul Arden. I'm like, that's genius, right? Anyway, so this is a joke. Um, I, I called my podcast the world's best-selling podcast by John Evans. The world's, most, the world's number one podcast by John Evans, right? Yeah. But people thought it was true. <laughs> they didn't get the joke. Yeah. And then it, 
I tell you when it really got, well, it really going back to AI now. So I had this guy in America, right? And he did this video review, like a massive takedown of me. I mean, basically, I had Bob Hoffman on and we were just, you know, shooting the yeah. shit about digital yeah. and scamming and all that kind of thing. Anyway, he did a review and just said, this guy's not uncensored. He's too polite. He's too British. Yeah. It's tyrannical. It's yeah. bullshit. Anyway, yeah. he, he goes off yeah. on me. Like a seven-minute video yeah. dedicated Brilliant. to why this podcast yeah. is shit, right? Yeah. And in those moments, you think, okay, what do you do? Do you kind of, I might as well engage with it and like, you know, have some fun. Yeah. Anyway, end up playing with it and it was fine. And we had a bit of a laugh or whatever. It was good. Anyway, I, I sent a message. I said, um, what, why pick on me? Yeah. Right? You've got a world of yeah. podcasts out there. He said, you're the world's number one podcast. <laughs> I've, got, wait, I've, got a couple, two, I've got two stories for you and I fucking love that. One was when we came out, uh, about six months out, someone tweeted at campaign, for fuck's sake, at campaign, you'd publish a story about someone having a shit in the uncommon toilets. <laughs> and so we made 100 T-shirts out of it. Oh, and, now, and then we got talking to him, and now the guy is like, literally, he's like, well, no, it's, we're, we're really close and we talk a lot. Um, I'll tell you what did happen, though, and I think this is really important. Like, I think there, there will be haters. When you go and do something, whatever we want to say in this industry, I, I, I really don't care, particularly creatives. For one reason or another, we all talk a great game, and that's so lovely, and they're so lovely. Yeah. But we are terrified and threatened, I think, and the worst at, at someone doing something new. I think somehow innately we feel like it's going to fuck with us. And Uncommon came out and I started to write articles and say stuff. And some people just didn't like it, man. And this, this one guy, um, I believe in taking that head on. I, I don't like the fog of, of social. I don't like the distance, this supposed distance. And one guy got really, really rude and started tweeting at me and saying really inappropriate shit about my like family and my life. So I tracked him down, like, because he's on Twitter. And I worked out, we worked at the Martin Agency at that point of time in the States. So I called him. I said, hey, you know, hi, it's Nils. Oh, hi. And I just went, you know, um, I just went, you know, I've, you know, I've got a wife, I've got three boys and whatever, and you're on Twitter and we don't know each other. I said, but I do know two people who work in your company, man. And I said, so it's good, all this. I said, but yeah. do, do we know me? Have I offended you in some way? No. I said, cool. Well, if you do it again, then I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to come over there and see you. And we're going to have a chat about it. And he was like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> and I was like, but, but it's weird because people need to get real. It's like, I just think that that distance is unhealthy. Um, that said, they do derision's great. Uh, it, like, you know, it's fuel. It really is. Because it is, it um, the other thing I realized is, honestly, if you're being debated, if you are, if people are devoting seven minutes of their life, you are doing something with some traction. Yeah. You know, and and the positives are also true. You know, I've had people write to me off the back of our chat and other chats I've had, and ninety percent of our chat now might be guff, right? Yeah. But there might be six seconds of it that just hits someone, totally. and they go fucking needed yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I, and you never know no. what that is. No, 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 you no, never no, do. No, it's yeah. almost impossible. I mean, it's, no. I'll listen back and go, "Geez, that was yeah. genius." That little yeah. bit there, yeah. a little bit, and um, you know, I'll. Yeah. random bit someone that's will write in and go do you that's know it. what that has yeah. changed my life and I needed that John you know? I needed yeah. that you know I need those things when you read stuff or someone says something you suddenly yeah. go that's the bit fucking hell why yeah. did I, why did I yeah. forget so it's good yeah it's, good. it's real fuel that isn't it yeah. really good um, let's imagine we're down the um, Gunmakers pub oh yeah right and <laughs> he says I love that place you know exactly <laughs> yeah. we've been there a few times just down the road <laughs> and I love your ambition when you started creating brands you wish existed in the world what would if you, would, if you weren't here today as, you know, successful owner of a big ad agency, what would you create today? Oh, God. Well, this is an actual plan. So this is not, uh, yeah. this isn't an actual answer to your question at all. This is what I'm probably going to go and do at some point. This is great. Uh, but I, I've got a crush on fragrances. I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm obsessed with them. I'm obsessed with fragrance in general. Can you group? do some candles during lockdown? Yeah, yeah, we did. Is, 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 yeah, this, yeah, like, is this like an advanced A little bit, prototype? a little bit. Yeah. With the guys at Earl of East who are brilliant, we made candles, I don't know if you remember, called Sense of Normality at that time. You know, you couldn't do anything in lockdown. So we made these candles that smelt like st stuff you couldn't do. Not the nice things. Like we made one that smelt like a cinema, you know, with a hint of third base in the back row uh, and some sticky old Haribo. We made one that smelt like a, a, a pub, you know, with a slight yeah. sense of urine-soaked seat. And we made one that smelt like a music festival, you know, with a waft of, yeah. of weed in the air. And so we loved all that. But um, I, I've got this, this crush on it. Now, this isn't necessarily at all, you know, all my talk of the some of the problems we solve and all of that. But I was also obsessed in, in my youth with fragrance uh, commercials and the fact they didn't have a narrative and they were artful and all the above. But if you stop and think about fragrance, all it is is story. Currently, it's a terribly told story. It's a story involving some guy's head staring at camera, you know, in his bullshit apartment. It's probably AI. It's probably AI yeah, uh, generated out, out yeah. of home, isn't it? And I can tell you from yeah. having worked on that business a while back that it's pretty much run like that. 
It doesn't have to be. And if what we're saying is that fragrance is one of the key triggers for memory, for home, for your loved ones, like you think about, if I, I mean, the key thing I always ask anyone is think about your grand's house. It's like that is scent, pure scent, yeah. man. You can smell the curtains, the cushions, the life. You can smell what's on the wood and, the, you know, and I, all that stuff I think is um, really, really evocative. And I don't think anybody has taken that and gone, firstly, had what's our relationship with fragrance and stories and what might they mean in our lives and what is it? And, and then secondly, how might it go to market? So what if you launched a fragrance with an author? What if you launched a fragrance with four bars of a song? What if you, you know, and I'm just obsessed with that. Uh, but I also thought, wouldn't it be brilliant if all the fragrances and all the ingredients you used to create these beautiful scents paid back and gave back somehow to the places they came from? I just thought that was yeah. also... Anyway, that's complete nonsense. No, I, I, I get it. But also you're, pick, you're picking a market that's dominated by a few very global players yeah, as well. Right. So therefore there's, there's, a, right. there's a disruption opportunity. Well, They're locked into 100%. a paradigm of how they yeah, do stuff, right? So crying out for some change. I mean, those guys on Twitter, what are they called? Uh, fragrance ads for sale, have you seen them? No. Oh my God, dude, really? this is a wormhole you'll go down. I'm going to get their <laughs> name wrong. You know, a man's desert camera, you know, empath oh, yeah. empathy yeah, is the yeah. new apathy. Four yeah. walls fall down, Beyonce comes in in a breastplate. Yeah. Like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. fucking gold. Yeah. But I, I think, yeah, I think it's broken. Yeah. Anything like that. Uh, I'd love to start a font foundry. Yeah. Fonts, you know, fonts are super interesting. The craft yeah. of fonts is amazing. I love that Johnny Ive disappeared, set his company up and spent a year making a font. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, you know, but I, I think there's something in, in there as well that's, that's good. But um, yeah, I don't know. Lastly, I've got this. I've got this thing. I don't know if you relate to this. This is like the pipe dream. I call it the prawn shack, and the prawn shack is like a building where there are about seven seats or covers, and there's no menu. And I just guff around getting fat in a shirt, and I cook for everybody, <laughs> and I cook for everyone. And I give you wine, and you don't. You just get what you get given, and hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> but that's brilliant. That's like, no yeah. menu. Yeah, it no, just is it. what it no, is. It is what like, it is. And you that, rock up, and it's pure and experience. It's, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's something about that senses. I mean, you know, like sound as well. Mm. Sound is so evocative of emotion. Smells evocative. Yep. Taste. You know, all these things are so evocative yep. and create stories, as you say. Yeah, that's how I'm obsessed with that stuff. I think we should go down the gun makers and work this yep. plan up, right? Word. Is that the deal? Yeah, let's do it. The gun makers, by the way, if none of you have ever been, let's big up the gun makers. It's a brilliant, brilliant pub uh, just around the corner from Uncommon on Clerkenwell Road. But um, it used to be where the suffragettes held secret meetings, which I love. That and, is a story. Um, when you go in there, if you imagine them all upstairs kind yeah. of going, yeah, all right, I'm going to fucking chain myself to this fence. And, you know, I just think it's badass. So uh, next is... time you go in there and sink a pint, do that. Okay. Well, I yeah, think that's the perfect place um, to... Uh... It could be the perfect place to end, except yeah. for the fact that you told me about, you know, sometimes people listen to this and, you know, they send you stuff or they, they like... <laughs> and they make... So I would like to make a play that we, <laughs> that we record the next one of these uh, at Chelsea Football Club. Now, Chelsea aren't doing that well, so I'm hoping there'll be more tickets available. That we indeed. Um, and so if anyone listening side. to this fancies giving John and I some tickets at Chelsea, maybe we'll go and do a version of there Chelsea and cry into a microphone. Yeah. If that go. works. So yeah, Chelsea, done. Yeah, great. And then put your we podcast... Could, we could bring our uh, nice can of rosé. We could. I mean... Yeah, I suppose that is a bit Chelsea, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say it's not. Probably is. Oh, well. Probably is, actually. Yeah, yeah there we go. Great. Uh, thank you, John. I did great. have a sponsor, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Brilliant. Oh, it's been a blast. Thanks, mate. Thank you, man. Good to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to that episode with Nils Leonard at Uncommon. I really, really enjoyed this one. It was There's so much in there about the acquisition, about the future creativity uh, and all the wonderful things that, that Nils is doing. Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you want to never miss an episode again, you know what to do. Just click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're watching or you want to watch, head over and over to YouTube. Give me a subscribe. I would really love that. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm over at Twitter at UncensorCMO or find me on LinkedIn where I'm my own name, John Evans. Thanks for watching and listening. I'll see you next time.